You're listening to Hidden History, and I'm your host, Ellis Tucci. If you know any way that we can improve our content for you, the listener, drop us a line at hiddenhistory.show forward slash contact. To catch up on all our past episodes and hear new ones every Wednesday, head on over to your Apple Podcast app or hiddenhistory.show and learn something new today. It was created at the end of World War II, and by the time it reached its zenith in the 1980s, it became a cultural and economic symbol for American poverty. It was government cheese. And over the course of a few years, hundreds of millions of five-pound loaves of American cheese made the journey from caves and warehouses around Kansas City into the kitchens of millions of Americans. You either loved it or hated it, and although it's long since stopped being distributed in its most well-known form, it's maintained its spot in American popular culture. This is Hidden History, and you're listening to episode 27, The Big Cheese. So while the Government Cheese Food Assistance Program began in 1981, The existence of the cheese itself actually has its roots in the price assistance mechanisms of the Great Depression. And the cheese, that delicious, nutritious, completely uniform, incredibly yellow food that has become synonymous with American nutrition, has roots back even further. We have one man to thank for American cheese, and he wasn't actually American. James Kraft was born in Stevensville, Ontario on December 11, 1874. In 1901 and 1902, he and his brothers ran a horse-drawn dairy service. When he moved across the lake to Buffalo in 1902, he was squeezed out of the cheese business. So the next year he packed up and started a cheese wagon in Chicago. By 1914, the company that would soon become Kraft Foods the J.L. Kraft and Brothers Company, opened their first cheese factory in a neighboring Illinois town, followed soon by a 1916 patent for manufacturing a cheese that was pasteurized under extreme heat, allowing it to be stored longer and shipped further than conventional cheeses. American cheese was born. For a little while, nothing eventful happens in the world of cheese production. And then, all of a sudden, the Great Depression hits, and prices for milk and dairy products go through the floor. During the Depression, the federal government used a lot of different tactics to prevent the agricultural sector, which at that point still made up a little bit less than half of America, from completely collapsing. What they used to prop up the dairy industry was a subsidy called the Price Parity Formula. What that meant is that if the market price of milk fell below what it cost to produce that milk, the government would help pay farmers the difference in order to prevent farmers from going broke. This had the effect of giving economic security for the farmers, but it created a problem in the supply chain. Thanks to government aid, dairy farmers were still producing a quantity of milk equal to that demanded by pre-depression price levels. The real price for milk was much lower, And so it follows that the demand was lower as well. Here's the thing about milk. It doesn't really store all too well in the long term. 
and so to avoid this mass spoilage, two things happened. The first being farmers turning this excess milk into dairy products, like dry milk and cheese. And the second being the federal government's Commodity Credit Corporation, buying up huge amounts of the excess product. On October 31st, 1949, Congress seemingly found a way to deal with its ridiculous excess of cheese. They passed the aptly titled Agricultural Act of 1949 which, among other things, provided federal assistance to school lunch programs across the nation. It just so happened that the government conveniently had millions of tons of cheese it wanted to get rid of. The government had just artificially induced demand for the cheese they had already artificially induced the demand for. As time went on, pricing systems in the dairy market became more and more distorted. Things eventually came to a head 30 years later, in 1977, when the dairy industry had become so unhealthy that, under the Carter administration, $2 billion was injected into the dairy subsidy over the course of four years. Farmers had been producing milk at subsidized price levels for decades, and now their welfare allotment was increasing, dramatically. Dairy farmers across the country began to produce, you guessed it, even more milk. It was, in fact, more profitable to produce milk than ever before. The annual cheese surplus grew further, and as a result, the government bought more and more cheese. They stored it in and around Kansas City, in warehouses and even caves administered by the Commodity Credit Corporation. It just sat there. Other dairy products were actually put to use. The powdered milk that the CCC bought found its way overseas as part of the humanitarian Food for Peace program. Cheese, however, could not fill such a role. Even American cheese, which stored better and shipped farther. Then came the 1980s. In the 1981 budget, President Reagan cut the allotment for the food stamp program by $1.82 billion which accordingly saw an increase in food insecurity across the nation. Meanwhile, huge troves of food were sitting away in federal warehouses, never to be used. When the press got a hold of the fact, it put a significant amount of pressure on the government. And so, in the 1981 Farm Bill, signed on December 22nd, Reagan authorized the distribution of 560 million pounds of government cheese to the states for food assistance programs, free of charge. Any state that wanted the cheese could get it, in 30 million pound allotments, made up of five pound bricks of cheese. California was the first to take the federal government up on the offer, with others soon to follow. Cheese stockpiles continued to grow, and by 1984, the total had reached 1.2 billion pounds of cheese, or five pounds for every single American. Participants in the food stamps program could claim one five-pound block per month without paying money or stamps. The government just wanted it gone. A USDA administrator was quoted as saying that the most reasonable way to get rid of the cheese would be to dump it in the ocean. 
unsurprisingly mass-produced cheese, the original intent of which was to serve as an inedible price support, wasn't the best quality. People weren't eating government cheese because they liked it. They weren't going out and buying it at the store. They were eating it because they had to. For millions of Americans, that five-pound orange-yellow brick of dairy product served as a constant reminder of their socioeconomic status every time they opened their fridge. The government cheese program was a farm subsidy that, as an afterthought, had the possibility of helping people. This is really exemplified by the fact that as the 80s wound to a close and America entered the 1990s, milk prices fell and it was no longer profitable to make so much cheese. And instead of continuing to encourage the production, storage, and distribution of government cheese, the product simply disappeared. While the program itself might have ended in the 1980s, the problem that caused its creation is still around. And in fact, the cheese surplus is the highest it's been in three decades. As of 2018, the federal government was steward of 1.4 billion pounds of American cheese. In 2016, the Department of Agriculture purchased 5,000 tons of cheese in order to, you guessed it, stabilize farm prices. The cheese went to food pantries and food banks across the country. When asked about the cheese, then Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack said the following. This commodity purchase is part of a robust, comprehensive safety net that will help reduce a cheese surplus that is at a 30-year high, while at the same time moving a high-protein food to the tables of those most in need. USDA will continue to look for ways within its authorities to tackle food insecurity and provide for added stability in the marketplace. Sounds familiar to me. Oh well. You know what they say, it's not easy being cheesy. The music in this week's episode was performed by Perius. Thanks for listening. Check out my past content on Apple Podcasts or hiddenhistory.show. This is Ellis Tucci at Hidden History, signing off. <laughs>